All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. You've got three quarters of the usual Buck Fever crew here with you this evening. Um, Jake could not make it, unfortunately, but uh, we've got a couple of the men of the hour. They just got back from a huge fishing trip in Canada, uh, which was a, a pretty big, pretty long video that we had just recently produced on Monday. Um, and, and these guys were the, the stars of it. So we've got Colby and Eli here with me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of, of deer hunting here. We're going to do something a little bit different. We've got some, um, some topics we're going to go over here, and we're going to decide whether or not they might be overrated or underrated, and then why. So we've got some, some good topics here. There's going to be some good stories involved. Uh, and maybe a little bit of debate too. So it's going to be a good episode. But first, we got to find out a little bit more about how the Canada trip went. So maybe Eli, we'll start off with you. Um, first of all, welcome back. And uh, how was your trip? It was a great trip. Um, I mean, we caught so many fish. I don't think there are many places that you can go and catch more fish than we did in six days of fishing. Um, so I was going back through and looking at the calendar and figured out that was year 19 that I was up at Lake Pashkokogan, um, and it was my 22nd trip to Canada. So pretty cool. I don't know if it's pretty cool or it just makes me feel old to know that, but... <laughs> there's been a lot of fish caught and a lot of good memories made yeah it looked like it. i was gonna say it's almost like a true uh true fishing story there because i think in the video at one point you had said it was maybe like year 20 and then later on in the video it was like year 24 and i just thought every time you say how long you've been going it just gets longer and longer but i'm glad we got it ironed out there it's pretty close you had the the right kind of timeline i give you credit there you weren't too far off yeah, you know, you just you do your best in the in the moment to to remember, but it's tough when you start getting up there. <laughs> I hear you. What about you, Colby? I know you haven't gone uh, as many years as Eli has here, but uh, what'd you think of the trip? Man, just another great trip. Uh, I, I, fourth or fifth time, I think maybe the fourth. Uh, it's been awesome every time I've been up there. It's all been at Pashkokogan Lake at North Albany Lodge with Eli and, and his dad and the crew. Um, it's just such a great week. Just, I, you know, I've taken plenty of fishing trips to different places and, and done a lot of walleye tournament fishing. Um, but just love this trip. It's just so relaxing. Uh, you get to spend time with good people. Uh, no cell phone service for the most part. Um, just out in the wilderness pretty relaxed fishing schedule it's not like we're ball busting at 6 a.m to 6 p.m or dawn to dusk i mean we're waking up <clears throat> eating a good breakfast having a having some coffee chilling making sure everyone's ready um kind of working the banker's hours schedules when it comes to fishing and maybe even shorter than that usually getting out there maybe around 8 9 o'clock and we're usually back in somewhere between like anywhere from 3 30 to 5 um get back in clean fish have have a few cocktails before dinner everybody helps out with dinner and then it's just hanging around uh 
playing cards, listening to music. One of the guys plays guitar. They got a, a wood burning heated sauna there that we hit up a few nights. Uh, it's just a great trip. Uh, super relaxing. Obviously you're catching a ton of fish and, and it's all hand to hand combat jigging. Um, you know, grew up around the Winnebago system and some places like Green Bay and whatnot. You're just doing a lot of trolling. So it's, uh, it's always great when you got a jig stick in your hand and you can't be setting the hook that many times. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who, go ahead, Eli. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I guess I can't speak for Pat, but like I literally had bruises between my ring finger and middle finger on my on my right hand from setting the hook so many times because that's where like I hold my reel so towards the end of the week switching it up trying to put it between the pinky and the ring finger trying to put it between the middle finger and the and the pointer finger but I had bruises from catching so many fish that's insane yeah it's 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 funny like i even wore gloves like i bought fishing gloves this year like that exposed the fingertips but like you know covered the rest of your your hand just specifically because you know you're just setting the hook so many times and uh you know we've gotten blisters before like little bruises on your finger and yeah you like you like end up switching you're trying to like switch your grip all week long because you just you've been setting the hook so many times the same way you're just kind of like, yeah, almost like little bruises on your hand. So you're trying to constantly like switch up your grip and find something new that won't quite feel as bad on the next set hook set. But uh, there's worse problems in the world, I guess. Yeah, man, people are going to think you guys are complaining about catching too many fish. But I, I mean, I saw all the footage you guys had, which was a ton. And before we started, Eli said that that footage was probably like 2%, maybe less of the actual fishing that you guys did. And I'd say that's probably, probably accurate. Like looking at the time of it, it probably was less than 2%. And I mean, you guys just caught an insane amount of fish. At one point we, we were there with Eli on like his 40th cast of the day. And he had to catch like one fish on that cast to have like 90%. Uh, of casts be successful with a fish Th that's unheard of you just don't you don't experience anything like that yeah it was crazy i actually was getting yanked by the camera for a while um the problem was we'd pull into a spot and i won't have the camera like on my chest harness i won't turn it on right away or i won't even be wearing it and we'd rip 30 fish out of there in the first like 40 casts or less and then I'd go, yeah, we should probably get some film of this. And, well, by then you've already ripped every fish out of the area, and you try to put the camera on, and all of a sudden you can't catch anything. <laughs> and I was just feeling kind of jinxed, jinxed by it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we probably just showed just a fraction of the, the hook sets on, on what we gave you on film. So, And that was still quite a few. Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite a few for sure. No, it's – it looked like an awesome trip. It made for a really sweet video. Um, huge thank you to you guys for putting in all the effort to film it and come up with all that stuff and try and film a couple podcasts on the way too, including uh, the one we're going to be doing here today. Unfortunately, there was another camera jinx there, a little bit of a GoPro malfunction. 
Um, she just must have quit on you midway through, and you guys were killing it. Like, it was a great episode, and then she just died. So we're going to kind of redo it here, um, and it's going to be expanded upon a little bit, and it should be really, really good this time around as well. But uh, we'll go first before we get into the deer hunting topics. Real quick, no explanation. Overrated or underrated? Walleye fishing in Canada, Eli. Oh, it's definitely underrated. Colby. Uh, it certainly isn't overrated. Uh, I would, I would, you got to go underrated. I mean, I've heard people scoff at uh, when I've said before, like, oh, I'm taking a trip to Canada, and they're like, oh, why are you driving that car and going up there? You can, you know, catch fish here, there, and every other place. And I'm like, yeah, it, you just don't get the experience. You get like when you're going to Canada with the wilderness and just the amount of hook sets and you're jigging. So vastly underrated. Everybody should Honestly, take one or two on the trip. Yeah, it's it's more about just not having to worry about anything else in the world. Like there's no wife tripping in your ear. There's no real responsibilities that you have. You just get to go up there, enjoy a lot of fresh air, a lot of fish, good people, and and relax and have a good time like i came back and i mean there were a couple of moments where sometimes i would get a little bit frustrated and and my wife has been like what what's going on with you like you're you're way more calm good yeah because i went to canada see if we could keep this juju going during deer season then we'd have something <laughs> Well, there you have it. That's that's Canada. So let's uh, let's get into some of the deer topics here. I know we're still a little ways off, but the past couple of days, um, Gabby and I have been driving around. Uh, we we just moved, and so we're in a new area, just driving around looking for deer, and we've seen some pretty nice bucks starting already, and that's got me really fired up. I'm like I'm ready to go already, and it's still June, but. Um, it's exciting. I just love talking about it. So we'll start out. We're going to do some overrated or underrated, starting with early season hunts. That's going to be the first topic. So we're talking like the first couple weeks in September, I would say. Before we get to October, those first couple weeks, early season hunts, overrated, underrated. Colby will let you go first on this one. Man, it, absolutely the most underrated time of the year. And, like, I'm I'm with you, man. This calendar turned to June, and I don't know if it was just having some deer hunting talk coming on the way back from Canada or what it is, but, like, I'm, like, ready to go, like, right now. Like, I want the season to start, like, two weeks from now. Um, I've been shooting the bull a couple times this week, watching hunting videos, stuff like that, just getting back in the groove. But, anyway, underrated. I just – September, to me – or whatever your early season opener gives you the absolute best opportunity to pattern a specific deer or, you know, a target group of deer. Um, they are very, very much on a bed to food type pattern um, more so than almost any other time of the year, other than possibly late season. But the problem with late season is you may not have the crops and the neighbor might, so they might not even be on the property. So early season, to me, absolute 
probably the best time to try to capitalize on those summer patterns that these bucks have. Um, I love it. It's, it's, it's vastly becoming like my favorite time of year to hunt is the month of September. I can't even imagine just like putting all my eggs in the basket and, and having to even wait until like late October, November to hunt. Like, come on, there's a whole like month and a half or two months of season that you're missing out on by not hunting uh, early in the year. So um, just the, the way you can kind of get on these bachelor groups or even specific bucks and learn their patterns and try to capitalize on those, I think uh, early season is the best chance for that. So super underrated for me. Eli, do you share the same uh, same sentiment there? Are you going to try and debate it? No, I'm not going to debate this one at all. Um, I think if you would have asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have given you the opposite response, but I will go with extremely underrated. Um, you know, and cameras help a ton. Um cell cameras help a ton because you don't have to be intrusive and, and go out onto the property. But I mean, over the last five years between Pat and I, like in the first two weeks of the season, one of us has gotten the job done. Um, and it just like, if you have a deer that's patterned, it is game on. You just have to wait for the right weather conditions and even like last year, the buck that I killed, the weather conditions weren't great, but it ended up working because it was just that they were still in that pattern. You know, it's like, yeah, I think what we do every day here, we, we wake up and it's Monday and you drink your cup of coffee, you Go sit on the toilet. You get get your razor out, and and you know, you got the the three S's taken care of for the day. It's the same thing that the deer are doing. They're just they're way more predictable at that point of the year than they are any other time of the year. And we've had a lot of success. And I would say that it's really underrated. A lot of people stay home because of heat, but I mean, what was it? 2021 I believe that season like we were sitting out there opening weekend it was 90 degrees out and we and I ended up hitting one of our one of our target bucks um did not make a kill shot on that one uh, but you know just goes to show you 90 degrees doesn't matter they're in a pattern and if you have them patterned you can capitalize on it I agree completely I, th I think it's vastly underrated you hear people making excuses the heat can be one of them uh, well if i shoot it then the meat's just going to spoil right away i don't really think that that's true at all um I, I potentially if it's like 90 degrees and it doesn't drop in temperature at all overnight and you don't find them overnight i, I suppose i could see that but that's you know th those are certain circumstances that i don't think are necessarily ones to plan on to not get out there and, and hunt it i would hunt in august if we could um for all the reasons that, that we listed plus this is a really noah answer but i don't like being cold so i'll take 80 90 degrees and fighting off a couple mosquitoes over like just shivering all day long during the rut when the wind's blowing 40 
and it's already like 10 degrees out. I, I remember during the rut this past year, we made a Facebook post and everybody's like, dude, you look like you're freezing. And I was like, yeah, I, I am. I'm just up in a tree stand fully exposed here. The wind is blowing me out of my tree. It sucks. So just on that basis, like it, it's so much more comfortable. I think you can be up there with so like so much fewer layers on. It's just, I don't know. There's, there's so many advantages to it that don't even like that aren't even deer hunting related, just like comfort wise that I, I think it's, it's just a great time to be out there because when you add in all of the ways that you can kill a buck in the early season that, you know, the advantages that you might have that you don't have as, as the season wears on, you put it all together. It's like, it, it's perfect. It's everything you could want. So I agree. I would say that one is vastly underrated. And like you guys said, you've had great success with that the past couple of years. Jake shot Blade Runner, 155-incher on opening day, two or three years now. But, like, yeah, it's it, it's the real deal. You can really have a lot of success there. So let's talk about when it's really, really warm. We'll say 90 degrees plus. Is it still underrated, or are we getting into more of an overrated territory here only when it's really, really warm? We'll start with Eli. I mean, I would still probably go underrated. I'm a little bit more neutral on the really warm days, and I think that that really just depends on do you have one of your target bucks in a pattern. If you have them in a pattern, like, game on doesn't matter how hot it is you're going to find me out in a in a tree or on the ground i guess which i can say now after last year um but i would say that it's underrated um a couple of things we didn't even touch on with the early season we can expand on it probably in a different episode but um you have standing crops so you can walk into your spots without being detected you know, standing corn is way over your head. You can you can sneak through that, never have a deer see you. Um, all the trees have leaves on them still. So it just makes, it, it takes away their ability to see as long as you have a plan for how to get in and out of, out of your set, uh, which is a huge, huge advantage um, in my opinion. Colby? Yeah, those are great points. <clears throat> Eli, I'm also going to go really underrated on this. Um, like, again, I think it's just an excuse. People like to see the temperature or, you know, whatever, 85, 88, 90 degrees, maybe some humidity in there, and they're automatically out. I have just – I've seen too much trail camera data over the years where the heat in that early season just doesn't affect deer movement whatsoever. I mean, I've seen – we, we could probably go back and pull up some pictures of 90-degree days where we have deer in the, in the field, in the sun, um, in the middle of the afternoon or early afternoon. Um, and then there's other parts where, like, you got to realize, like, yeah, it, it might be miserable if you're sitting on a field edge that is basking in the sun. But there's other parts, like there's shaded corners. Um, you get back in the woods a little bit with all the canopy, that's all shaded. It's not 90 degrees back in these spots. Um, and these deer are still moving and they're still on the patterns. And I have not seen temperature that time of year specifically make much of a difference. Like 
Will they move maybe a little bit more if you get a, like a 65 degree day? Yeah, maybe. But I, we've seen them move just as good when it's 85, 90 degrees. Um, a, a good story to go with that is, boy, I can't put a time frame on the year on this, but this was when we were hunting up in my family cabin on opening weekend. Um, we had a, a group of bucks just gorging on like acorns back in the woods and it was like a 90 degree weekend and they had come in there the night before and I just could not get a shot. So I had told my brother, like, we need to get in there and beat these deer back to the acorns the next morning. So like we got into the tree at like hour and a half before daylight. Sure enough, these three big bucks are the first deer in there gorging on acorns. They stuck around until first light. My brother ends up sailing an arrow over the back of this 13 pointer um, and all three deer ran off <clears throat> and he was kind of down in the dumps and I had to go back that Sunday afternoon and I said get your butt back in a tree and get out there early this afternoon um, again it was 90 degrees I got a text from my brother driving home at 2.30 that same 13 pointer dead killed it that afternoon in 90 degree heat 2.30 in the afternoon, opening weekend. Um, temperature did not matter. Food source mattered. And the fact that deer, those deer were out of pattern and were not used to hunting pressure yet. Um, so long, long-winded answer there, but vastly underrated still for me, early season, regardless of the temperature. I agree. I mean, people, I think, get worked up about it because there's the coveted cold front that everybody loves so much and so the opposite of that obviously being warmer temperatures kind of puts people off a little bit but there's a difference between really unseasonably warm temperatures in late November as compared to really warm temperatures still in September because the deer are still used to that like it's not it's nothing out of the ordinary for them so um I agree. I, I think at that point, it's really not going to affect them. I, I wouldn't say that they're going to move more on a 90-degree day in September than they are in a 70-degree day. I think early season like that, it just really doesn't matter. I think early season hunts are underrated no matter what the weather really is, and so you should just get your butt in a tree. That's that's what I think, and that's I think we're all pretty much in consensus there, but what about when we start getting into October and then there's the uh, the notorious October lull that everybody fears, that everybody dreads? The October lull, I mean, I guess we could even say, is it is it real? Is it a myth? Is it uh, an overrated time to hunt, underrated time to hunt? We'll let Colby start with this one. This is going to be a weird answer. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the October lull is a myth. It is not true, but I'm gonna also say it's an overrated time of year to hunt. Um, I'm gonna say it's a myth because I just think deer change their patterns a little bit. Like that, you've been seeing them come to these green bean fields all summer long. Um, so you start your season maybe hunting some field edges. You're seeing a lot of deer, and all of a sudden you get into October, and now you're not seeing any deer anymore. Well, they may have just switched food patterns, and there's been a lot of hunting pressure. Um, those beans have dried up. Acorns are now falling. They're probably hanging out deeper in the woods, not to mention the hunting pressure from you, neighbors, surrounding people. 
Um, they now kind of maybe have a little bit of an intel on that they're being hunted. Or they're hanging back in the woods a little bit more. But study after study after study shows that deer move more every single day as October mounts. So um, I think the October lull in itself is a myth. You just need to change your hunting tactics. However, I do think that time of year is overrated. Um, I would rather put my eggs in the basket in the early season, like the first two to three weeks, and then later October and into the rut. I mean, let's just be honest. Like all of us, we, or most of us, have limited time of like vacation or opportunities to go hunt. We can't all go hunting like 12 weekends straight, you know, girlfriends, wives, families, jobs, whatever. You just have life commitments. So if I'm going to take off time to hunt, I'm going to spend it in the early, early season, or then I'm going to gear up towards that more late October, uh, November time. It's just going to be a better time period than the so-called lull time period. So, um, in that aspect, I would say it's an overrated time to hunt just because it's going to be the least out of those three time periods that I'm going to spend time in the woods. Okay. I like that answer. What about you, Eli? You know, as much as I would like to disagree, because I, I really feel like when you have opposite perspectives, it creates an opportunity to learn something. Um, I'm going to... 100% agree with Pat again. Um, I guess I'm probably a little bit more neutral on it, but the reason for that is it, it's really property dependent. Like Pat said, deer patterns change, what they're eating changes, hunting pressure changes how they move. Um, so if you're going to try to go and sit on a field edge, you, you probably aren't going to see them before dark. Um, if your property sets up where you can get back to a bedding area before the deer get back, to, you know, before the deer return to the bedding area, I think you can do really well during the so-called lull, um, the myth of the lull. But, you know, if, if it's hard to access those those spots, which where we hunt, it it's rather difficult, and it's not even so much the access. Like you got to work to access it, but if you don't end up killing a deer, what's your exit plan? Like that's even more critical because when you're walking in there, there's probably not deer back in those bedding areas if you're in there, you know, an hour and a half, two hours before it gets light out and sitting and waiting it out. But when you're walking out, what are you disturbing? What's your plan to get out of there? You know, so I would also agree, overrated time to hunt. However, plenty of people get the job done during that time. Um, and I think a lot of that is dependent on, you know, what's the property that you're hunting and what is the access that you have to those bedding areas that are a little bit deeper into the woods. Yeah, you guys both brought up good points there. But we got to bring some practicality in into all of this because you'll listen to various hunting personalities that are out there on the Internet, and they'll try and tell you that the October lull is a myth. And, and like Colby said, I, I think that it probably is a myth, right, because the deer are somewhere. They don't just disappear. They don't fall off the face of the earth. But – we have to deal with everybody's individual realities. 
I hunt on a, a 40 acre property with my family, right? So I can look at trail camera data. I can look at the times that we spend in the woods and what we're seeing. And if the deer are not on our property, if they're not moving on our property in October and we're experiencing a lull, that's the reality, right? So if you have 500 acres and like it sets up perfectly for you in October, then yeah, you're not going to have an October lull, but that doesn't mean that everybody is or is not going to have one. It, it all kind of depends on, like you said, when the deer shift their movement, does that benefit you in the property that you're hunting on or does that end up hurting you? And if you're on public land too, the spot where you're seeing a lot of deer in September all of a sudden might dry up in October. It doesn't mean that the deer aren't there. It just means that that spot is no longer what they're really focusing on once October rolls in because they're changing their patterns. So I, I think like you guys both brought up, it, it's just completely dependent on where you're at and like what, how your property sets up, all, all these things play a role. You know, somebody can't sit out there and tell me that the lull doesn't exist if I'm literally experiencing a lull on my own property and, and vice versa. You know, I can't sit here and try and tell people that the lull does exist if they're not seeing the same thing. So it's totally dependent. And there's things you can do to try and shift that focus even on smaller properties because, you know, as the deer shift their focus, if, if you can provide you know, wh whatever new thing that they're going after once it gets into October, if you can provide that on your property, maybe they stick around, whatever, but pressure plays a, a big role in that too. So if you pressure them really hard in September, maybe they just move off of your property anyway. So there's so many factors in there. Um, I, I mean, I guess if we're talking like that time period, I would say it's, I, I don't think that it's necessarily an overrated time to hunt because I don't think a lot of people really like it, but I think it's like fairly, fairly rated where it's rated pretty low it, like Colby said if I'm taking time off of work or something it's going to be early season if I've got one patterned or like November the rut or, or later October when they're also rutting too I mean October can be really good even once you get into like the middle of it I'd say it's like the first two weeks in October where things might start to feel a little bit slow and yeah it's it's probably not the best time of year hunt i don't think anybody will really tell you that it is but what about if you get like a really good cold front coming in let's say it's like 75 degrees and then this weekend's coming up and it's going to drop 20 degrees it's going to be in the 50s is that going to change your mind is that a time when you're like yeah this this might be a time to get into the woods what do you think on that eli is it going to change my mind no, because I'm going to be in the woods regardless of what week it is. It might change my mind on, you know, what property I decide to hunt. Like the the property that Pat and I spent a lot of time on, it's always this risk-reward debate. Like, you know, do you risk going in there and adding more pressure to it you know, what are your odds of getting the reward of killing a deer? And it's not as high, but a cold front definitely increases the odds. Um, I think the only time early October that I would even consider going onto that 
onto that property would be when there's a, a major cold front coming and uh, specifically hunting in the in the mornings um, in bedding areas. It depends, you know. If if there hasn't been a ton of pressure around, you can maybe get away with with uh, with hunting an afternoon out there. And because of the cold front, deer are going to get up earlier. They're going to move earlier, and and you might have a chance where you don't have to get back in as far. But I don't know. I spend, I would say, the first two to three weeks in October, I still hunt, but I spend a lot of time on public land. And a lot of time, a lot of times I'll go out in the morning and then just kind of turn it into a scouting mission um, where if I blow a big deer out of there, it really doesn't, doesn't matter because I didn't know he was there before, but now I do know that he's there. So, you know, from there, from that point, I can maybe try to make a game plan, but I would say, you know, cold fronts in the lull are going to be better, but you still can't take the approach of, I'm going to go walk out to the edge of a field and expect that the deer are going to be out there, you know, two hours before it gets dark. Uh, if you're hunting in an area where, where there's been human pressure. Um, yeah, I think, I think human pressure is the most overlooked aspect of deer hunting. Weather patterns change, change their movement. Moon phases changes their movement. Where the food is at changes their movement. But human pressure changes when they move. You know, like Pat said, there's more movement every day. It increases every single day through the month of October. But most people don't see it because the areas where where the deer are moving are areas where it's more difficult to access. So... You know, you can you can burn your property up in no time if you really want to go out there and and try to make it happen in October if the conditions aren't quite right. Colby, where do you stand on the October lull cold fronts? I'm gonna, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that are gonna have contrary opinion on this and say I killed such and such so many deer during the cold front in October, but and I understand that there's always exceptions to the rule, but I'm still going to say overrated um, mainly because of the fact that I want it to be overrated because that's the time of the year where I've already hunted for a couple weekends in September. Cause we all know now that's like my favorite time of year to hunt. And I got to rebuild up some family and wife equity for a couple weeks before I can go on a, you know, a November voyage for a couple more weekends in a row. So I don't want mid-October to be underrated. I don't want to be out in the woods. I want to be doing the old pumpkin patch deal with the kids and, you know, whatever I got to do at home to score a couple brownie points to build back up for the, you know, the month that I'm going to be gone in November. So selfishly, I'm kind of going to call this still overrated. I know guys, you know, you see a cold front come through and you will see Facebook or social media light up with some nice deer getting killed. Um, but a lot of what Eli says, still very much property specific, still access specific. Um, are you, you, you seeing these bucks on your cameras? Um, and can you access in and out the proper way without, again, putting too much pressure on your property? I, 
will echo what he said. I think human pressure is the absolute number one deer like deterrent um, over that will change deer's behavior more so than anything else out there, including weather, moon, time of year, whatever. So, Colby, what about, you know, when we get a little bit later into October, we start seeing some rubs popping up on some trees, maybe even get like a, a rub line, right, where you get a couple of them in a row um, off of a hot trail. Is that something that you would say is, is an overrated or underrated um, you know, visual that, that you're going to see, uh, you know, like if you saw, you know, deer tracks out in the woods, right. Uh, that maybe don't really mean anything at all. Um, is it along those lines or is it something you can kind of key in on where, where do you see rubs fitting into things here? A lot of times for me, uh, the rubs are overrated and I'm going to say this with a little asterisk. Um, and that's because there's nothing that gets me more excited when you walk into the woods and you see a, you know, an eight, 10 inch diameter tree that's just threaded, it's hip high. You know that a big buck made it. Uh, there's nothing that gets the juices flowing more than that probably. Um, but to me, there's still, it's an overrated piece of sign, um, especially if it's in open timber, um, especially if it's on towards field edges. And especially if it's in a combination of off a field edge in open timber, 99.999% of the time that rub was made in the middle of the night in pure darkness. And that deer is nowhere near that spot in daylight. Um, now you can use that rub line to maybe find, okay, what path is he taking back towards the bedding area um, to maybe figure out some more information about your property or maybe public piece that you're at, but it's, you know, the open timber rub lines are definitely not places that really get me too excited about setting up in those spots. If you find rubs in deep thick cover, um, certainly love them. Now I'm getting a little bit more interested in what they offer. But the other thing with rubs is you have a lot of times you have no idea what time of year that deer actually made that rub. You might be walking through the woods October 28th and get all jacked up that you saw this huge rub and that rub was from September 15th. Um, I'm much more interested in seeing scrapes and I'll, I, I guess we'll probably talk about that here a little bit. So for me, rubs are overrated. What about you, Eli? Well, I gotta agree again. Rubs are, rubs are extremely overrated. A lot of people set up on them. Um, I won't, I, I shouldn't say that I won't set up on a rub. Um, it's, it's pretty rare that, I see a rub and I go, this is where I want to set up. Um, all it tells you is that a deer, has, a buck has been there. What I'm looking for with rubs is more so, and I don't even like rub lines. Like I won't even hunt a rub line uh, most most times of the year. Um, you know, during, during the rut, it might be a little bit different. Uh, but... What I'm looking for with rubs is, are there a bunch of rubs in the same area from multiple years? Because that tells me that it's a staging area for deer. Like if you're if you're finding rubs that happened this year and and some that are from last year or the year before and and they're all concentrated into a into like a 30 
40 square yard area, that means that that's a spot the deer are visiting when they get up out of bed or before they're going back to bed. Um, and that's something that, that I might key in on a little bit more. But no, typically I'm not going to set up on a rub or a rub line to try to get the job done. Like Pat said, super cool. It gets you excited. I've taken a lot of different pictures of rubs over the years, uh, but I can't say that it would be an effective strategy to set up over rubs to try to kill a buck. I agree, and you know, it's when you start to see those pop up. I mean, you're kind of getting into like some pre-rut, and then rut, and I always think of it like when you get to that time of year that's when you start getting into the chaos where these deer are moving all over the place and they start doing things that maybe don't make too much sense. And, you know, you start getting into that time of year and you look more at the absence of some of these patterns that they had in September where you could bet your money that he's going to be hitting this food plot during this, like, half an hour period like Jake did with Blade Runner. Like, you can kind of pattern them in the early season and then as you get more towards the rut – it gets more chaotic. There's not as much of a pattern. So you see that rub line. It's just not like he's going to be there again. He's probably, if he hit that, you know, coming back from food, going to bedding, like you said, in the middle of the night, he's probably not going to just do that again during the daytime when you're out there. He, he's not really in, in that pattern right now. So I agree. If it's kind of an overrated thing. It is cool. I think everybody agrees on that as well. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of tells you more where they've been, not as much where they are right now to a certain extent. But what about scrapes? Because th- these are a different thing. Um, Eli, what what do you think about scrapes? Well, the scrapes, that's a little bit of a loaded answer. I would say most of the scrapes that people find are way overrated, like, Field edge scrapes, I, I couldn't tell you how many pictures we've had over the years of deer on field edge scrapes, and 98% of them are at night. Um, like, you find scrapes on logging roads a lot of times. That's a main, that's a travel corridor. How many deer did it take? How many bucks did it take to make the scrapes? Like, I've sat there and watched a buck make six, eight different scrapes you know, as they're walking through the woods just because they're all jacked up. And it gives the appearance of multiple bucks, but in reality it's one buck that just was walking, found licking branches, wanted to lay some sign down, wanted to communicate with some does. And those are typically not going to be mature bucks that are doing that. It's going to be your your younger, your younger deer. Um, however, the one scrape, feature that I love is when you can find a community scrape. If you find it if you find a scrape that you could park your truck on and have, you know, parts of the scrape still showing, that's telling you that, you know, there's a lot of different deer that are using that. Multiple bucks are using that. Um, and that's something that would be worth setting up on uh, because, you know, those bucks are gonna Still, they still have to rest, and when they get up in the afternoons or before they go back to bed in the morning, 
going to go check those areas and see what other deer were there using it um, the night before. And, you know, I think that that's a pretty good situation. Overall, I would say hunting over scrapes is overrated. If you can find a community scrape, you're, you're in the game. I will set up on that. Now, if you find a scrape line, multiple times I have set up not on a scrape line, but I've set up like downwind of a scrape line 50, 60 yards because a lot of times deer don't even go and sniff the scrape. Those bucks are going to go downwind of wherever that scrape is or the scrapes are, and, and they're going to just be scent checking um, to see if any does have been been in the area over overnight. So um, I think you can, if you move a little bit off of them, but kind of parallel it, that's going to give you a better opportunity. Uh, overall, I would still say that hunting over scrapes is an overrated, overrated tactic. Colby, thoughts? Uh, I think our first disagreement of the of the evening. Um, I'm going to take an underrated approach, but with the caveat of um, certainly some things I agree with here on what Eli said. Um, I will you will not find me hunting over a field edge scrape ever, um, at least anymore. I'm sure I did it plenty of times when I was a younger more experienced hunter you know you walk the a field edge you're like oh my god the bucks are in here like crazy i just went past 20 scrapes on the field edge and again that's a 99.9 percent of time that's getting made at night not in the presence of you sitting in your tree stand you could probably sit there for close to a week during daylight sun up to sundown and not see a buck come out and check one of those scrapes unless it's maybe you know a, a spike or a small one <clears throat> um but I certainly will hunt scrapes, uh, interior tree stands that are inside the woods. Um, you find that, again, what Eli's talking about, that big community scrape. And for years, uh, you know, you'd hear the term community scrape, and you thought you saw a big scrape in a community scrape. And trust me, when he says, like, you can park a vehicle on it, that's when you know you have finally found a community scrape. Some of the scrapes that you think are big, they're not community scrapes. We've seen small deer work a pretty big area uh, and make a pretty sizable spot. But when you can, you know, as big as your truck hood or half your truck or the size of a small car, you'll know it when you see it. Um, now that's what they're talking about. That's a community scrape. You better get up in a tree stand right now in one of those spots. Um, but interior, interior scrapes, clusters of scrapes in the same area, back in the woods, again, away from field edges. Um, you know, that's where I killed my buck last year. I mean, granted, he came into a rattle, but when he came up to the rattle and realized he couldn't really find the deer that he was looking for, he was on a beeline to a scrape, and he was going to go check it. I shot him about a step before he was going to put his paws in it. So, um, you know, a lot of our tree stands we will set up with mock scrapes, in the area so again to me it's got to be an underrated tactic if we feel like it's important enough to put mock scrapes in the area i know we're not banking completely on a mock scrape but you know it's just another um you know factor in those tree stand areas that could draw a deer in a little bit closer um i think scrapes are very valuable and and much more valuable than rubs 
Yeah, and I'll just supplement this by saying that I think deer are way, 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 way more likely to return to a scrape or to uh, freshen up a scrape that another deer made than they are to return to a rub that they made or go and rub up an, another deer's rub. Like, I, I just don't think that that's happening very often. And I think that when you say like these community scrapes or things like that, I, I don't think there's community rubs out there where every buck in the area goes and just tears up a giant oak tree, right? Like that's not happening. So if you're looking at one versus the other, I think you should definitely be a little bit more excited about scrapes than you are rubs. And if you can find the right ones for sure, that's where you're going to see deer returning, um, especially in, if they're in the right areas, which if they're in a community scrape, you know, if you find a community scrape, it's probably in the right area. That's why that it, it is the way that it is. So, um, in comparing the two, I think everybody would agree that scrapes are where it's at as compared to rubs. But if we kind of change change gears here a little bit and go away from some of that stuff, let's get into more. Not, not quite. Not quite. Okay. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta expand on that. Okay. So, I I agree. Like with the whole with the idea of community scrapes, like like I said, I will hunt over them. The reason I said overrated is because the where most the scrapes that most people are hunting over are not useless as far as putting some information together in your plan to be able to kill a deer, but they're useless in the fact that you're probably not getting a deer there in daylight similar to the rubs a community scrape like i said that's a different ball that's a different story um and the reason that we put all these mock scrapes down is not necessarily because it's going to attract deer but strategically where you place a mock scrape needs to be where you think you're going to be able to kill a deer so if a buck comes into the area Having that mock scrape there is something that might pique his interest. He might go over there and check it out. He might freshen it up, you know. And you better have a you better have a shooting lane that's been cleared to that mock scrape. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's an attractant, and I don't necessarily think that you're sitting there and you're hunting over it because you've created a scrape i just think it's a feature that's there that's going to bring a buck that is in the general vicinity that you are i think it might bring that deer a little bit closer and give you a shot opportunity and get him to pause focus on something different and give you the opportunity to be able to draw your bow back and get the job done that's that's what i think about with the mock scrapes but in that same effect, though, like you don't have any mock rubs out there, right? Like rubs aren't going to have that same effect, like you said, even if it is minimal, even if it is just a chance that he hits that, gives you a shot, like scrapes are still going to give you more of that than rubs are, right? I would say generally yes, but um, I don't know. If anybody follows hunting the hunting public, um I'm going to draw a blank on the guy's name right now, but he puts uh, horizontal rub posts out next to a bunch of his stands and deer hit them. Uh, but it's bas- I think he's basically doing the same thing. It's like 
that's not necessarily an attractant, but it's something that it's a feature that he's adding to get the deer to stop, switch, shift their uh, shift their focus onto something different so that he can get an opportunity to draw back and kill one. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But if we go here now to something a little bit different, um, maybe more of the, let's say, gimmicks in the industry, or, or I guess whether or not they are gimmicks, if they, if they really do work, um, we'll kind of get out of the woods and go more into the sporting goods store here. We'll, we'll start with scent eliminating clothing or like the, the sprays or the stuff you can put in your hair or whatever. Um, we'll, we'll give Colby a shot at this one first. Scent eliminating clothes, sprays, overrated, underrated. Overrated, overrated, overrated. Spent a ton of money on it in the past. Don't spend much money on it almost at all anymore. Um, not saying I don't do, take measures in scent control. Um, I take a shower with scent-free salt. I use um, ozone, like the ozone chambers or um, bags, totes, whatever. When I get done wearing my clothes, I, I you know, put them through the quote-unquote ozone wash. Um, we both use Sign Crusher products when it comes to that. But I I don't believe that you're putting on a piece of clothing or spraying yourself down with some magical scent killing spray and beating a deer's nose. Um, to me, it's all play the wind, play the wind, play the wind, play the wind. You need to be sitting downwind of where you expect deer to come from. And that's the only way you're beating their nose. It doesn't matter what product. Um, you're wearing, what spray you use, what anybody says. Um, I'm sure there's been occasions like, yes, yeah, so I've had occasions where a deer is straight downwind of you and yeah, they don't even lift their head up, but is that a 150 inch buck or is it a spike buck or a doe? No, it's usually the spike buck or the doe. The 150 inch buck downwind of you, you never saw because he smelled you um, and never came in. So, uh, Vastly overrated for me. Spent a lot of money on it in the past. I haven't used a spray or any specific scent eliminating clothing in, I don't know, probably the last 10 years. And I've shot more deer in the last 10 years than I did the previous 15 before that. So, and I was using all kind of the gimmicky stuff in the 15 prior to that. So, overrated for me. Eli, what about you? Yep. Overrated. Um, I'm in the same boat. I do take a lot of precautions to try to control my scent, um, but I do not think that anything I do is going to beat the deer's nose. Um, like my clothes get soaked in ozone every night. I wash them in scent-free detergent. I shower with scent-free soap or as the uh, marketing folks say, scent eliminating soap. Um, but I think it's I think it's all overrated. I think you're you could go out there and have your clothes sitting in your house, and if a deer doesn't get downwind of you, they're not going to smell you. So 
basically all the scent control stuff is set up um, just to get deer a little bit closer before they smell you, but I think that they're going to smell you. Um, the one thing that I don't think gets focused on it, it, a ton is thermals and those deer that are downwind of you, well, what are the thermals doing when they're downwind of you? You know, are, if the thermals are rising and the deer's downwind of you, they don't smell you because the, your scent is blowing over the top of them. It's getting sucked up into the sky. Um, and some of it is the mood of the deer, you know, like if they don't feel threatened or they're not really all that pressured, maybe they don't really care at that moment. Is it the rut? If it's the rut and there's a buck that's on a trail of a doe, he might not care that he smells human scent like he would during any other time of the year. So, um, I do use scent control, but I think overall it's a extremely overrated um, money-making scheme that a lot of these hunting companies put out. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. I mean, about the only dollars that I'll spend on an annual basis on um, scent elimination would be I'll buy like a bottle of spray to spray my boots before I walk in. Um, I don't even spray like the rest of my clothes, just literally my boots. Um, I have no idea if it works or not but it's like five, 10 bucks that I got to spend for the season. Worst case scenario, it doesn't really work and I'm out five, 10 bucks. Best case scenario, it maybe works a little bit, who knows. Um, but yeah, it, it, a lot of it is overrated. Um, and there's things like you said that you can do to help yourself out. Obviously you, you shouldn't be dousing yourself in cologne before you go out there. Like there's obvious, obvious things. Um, but to go super crazy with it, you're like Colby said, like you guys both said, you're never going to be able to beat a deer's nose. You got to play the wind. You got to play the thermals and you got to understand that stuff because you could get away with a lot more really. Um, if you do understand those things and you play them right, rather than trying to cover up all your scent and hunting improperly where you're, you're hunting on bad winds or, or bad thermals. Um, then no matter what you do, nothing's really going to work. So I agree with you guys there. That's an easy one, I think. Um, what about calls? We'll start, we got a couple different calls here. We'll start with grunt tubes or grunt calls in general. Um, we'll, we'll give Eli first crack at this one. What are your thoughts on, on the grunt calls? Um, I have a grunt call that I will take with me every time I go hunting but I would say that, in general, a grunt tube is way overrated. Um, now, I've grunted a lot of deer in. Most of the deer that I've grunted in have been have have been bucks that I could that I can see before I blow on the grunt trumpet. Um, I think the temptation, because of boredom. Um, just creates creates way too many opportunities for you to be like, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to grunt, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to call. And I don't know. I've also seen a lot of deer that have run away from calls, and I think that if it's not done properly and you don't 
like do it in a sequence that's building up that you're just probably going to make the bucks more alert to your presence. So um, if you are going to use a grunt tube, which I do use a grunt tube, um, I would say most of the time when you're going to use it, use it when you actually have eyes on the deer and you can see how they respond to it. So I'll keep it pretty short and sweet and say overrated however I use it, and it can be effective when you can see the deer and how they're going to respond to it. Colby? I got to echo the exact same thoughts, and I'm not going to get on any elaborate thing here. I think too many people uh, sit up there and, you know, play the old deer trumpet all day long because they read an article that says you should call every 20 minutes, um, and then you end up blowing the grunt tube uh, 50 times during a sit in the middle of October um, or the end of October because, again, some magazine article told you that deer should be on their feet and they're starting to get, you know, antsy towards one, one another and they're going to fight a little bit. And, well, now all you're doing is educating deer around you. Um, certainly have called deer in using a grunt tube before. Certainly have used it too much before. Um as well guilty of that but nowadays you know i'd probably a lot more disciplined again the last six to ten years and that thing usually doesn't get touched unless i have eyes on a deer but for most people it's probably a very overrated instrument that gets blown way too much in the woods and ends up causing you more harm than good i agree it's useful in moderation you can't overdo it you know i i don't know what the number is i would say my rule of thumb when I'm out there is like, for the love of God, Noah, do not grunt at a buck more than like two times tops because the the thing is, especially if you can see them, they can see you. Their ears are so good. They You grunt at them one time, they can pinpoint that like to the inch. They know exactly where you are. And if you give them too many grunts and too much time to really figure out where you're at, they're not going to like it because most likely you're up in a tree and they don't like they're going to literally be able to look right at you. You can't move a muscle or they're going to bolt. And I've done it. I've done it a lot of times because I grunt at him and he looks directly at me and I think, Oh, I got him. He's coming. I just got to keep grunting and he's going to get fired up. He's going to come right at me. And he's actually just looking at me like, dude, you're an idiot. Why are you still grunting at me? I know you're a person sitting in a tree. I'm just letting you look at me before I run away. That's all he's doing. You, you, you can't, you can't overdo it. They're too smart. Their hearing is too good. And I don't know if you guys want to go off on this tangent at all. I have banned myself, like make myself jump out of my tree. If I decide to snort wheeze at a deer, I know people have done it and made it work. I have done it many times, every single time. I have never seen a deer run as fast as the next time that I snort wheeze at one. Bolting away from me. Gone. Gone. I don't know if they ever stop running. It is the... (laughs) I cannot uh, denounce it enough. Do not snort wheeze. That's my opinion on it. I've never, never had success. And I would think the percentage of success is far 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 too low to really have the snort wheeze in your repertoire 
Yeah, no, I, I disagree. Go ahead, Pat. No, I, I was going to say I'm with Noah on this one. I, I've done it, used it, uh, you know, I don't know, let's say a dozen times in my life, and never once has it worked. So I can't say I've seen anything go hightailing away. Um, it just has flat out it hasn't worked. I've basically had every deer either not care or continue to move on. I've always used it kind of a, as a last resort after I've, you know, maybe grunted or even doe bleated. Um, the snort wheeze has always been my last resort. But either way, it's never worked for me, so I'm going to say uh, overrated. I, I know people love it, but I'm, I'm not using it much. All right, fine. I agree with you, Pat. I, I disagree with I disagree with Noah of don't use it ever, but it's a last resort call for me. Yeah, I think you, if you have experience with it, if you have the right age structure of deer that are going to be responsive to it, I think it's just such, I, I think it's an advanced technique in the right situation. And I think that the majority of hunters probably do not know how to use it properly on the right deer in the right situations and if you don't there's nothing that's going to make them run away faster than that so as a general rule of thumb for me not having the experience it's like don't even try and use it but i you know for somebody who is more experienced who does have um you know more knowledge in, in that situation i i think it it could be useful i've seen people do it i've watched the videos i know it works for some people but i think when the experience isn't there it's it can be really really bad um what about rattling then different products um i, I guess L let's go there because I, I think everybody knows that rattling can be effective if used properly um you can even cold call with rattling i know colby you had had success with that last year i don't want to steal your thunder there um, but more so the the products then what, what are you going to buy products that are out there that are meant to mimic antlers are you using real antlers what's what's the story there colby all right so i'll, I'll take rattling as an underrated tactic um and obviously i got some good uh video proof of it working from last year uh to support that answer um but if you would ask me that question literally probably three years ago, maybe even two, two, three, four years ago, I would have said, oh, my God, that's the most overrated calling tactic in the world. I had, um, in the 20 years prior, I've been bow hunting for about 26 years, 27 years, something like that. So um, up until the last three years, I had rattled probably at some point every year for those previous, you know, 22 years. And I think I rattled in a whopping total of, one buck a year and a half year old six pointer twice in the same day pretty successful um but considering the amount of rattle sequences that i had put out in the 20 plus years and rattled in one deer i would say what a complete flop of the tactic now over those 20 some years i never had used a real set of antlers i used every bullcrap marketing fake uh, rattle thing that was out there, you know, rattle bags with sticks. The pack rack was a famous one. The plastic thing that, oh, it packs together really cool. It's great. It fits in your backpack. Sounds like shit. Doesn't call in a deer. Uh, great product. Um, uh, I know Eli, he can probably expand on the black rack that he had. Um, anyway, just use all these, you know, fake rattling things. 
never worked. Um, and then I do, totally have to give the assist to Eli on this one. He had, uh, you know, heard from one of his buddies a couple of years ago, two, three years ago that, man, you guys got to use some real horns. Um, and he started using them and had success. And <laughs> he was gracious enough, I think, to cut up one of his solid bucks he had shot in the past, cut both horns off and gave them to me. He's like, here, you got to use real horns. And I still have that same set of horns today. Um, and all of a sudden I started calling in bucks. Um, I don't know how many I've called in the last three years using the real horns rattling together. And then obviously shot the one last year. So um, within the last three years with real antlers underrated before that, any gimmick product overrated to the moon would be my answer. Thoughts, Eli? Well, clearly, clearly Pat has already told, told the, the listeners that I'm going to be going underrated on it. Um, and I'll just echo it. It is so underrated. If you have real horns, uh, it is overrated. If you're going to fall for the marketing schemes again, here we go back on the marketing soapbox. Um, <clears throat> But the percentage of time that I have called deer in rattling has increased significantly over the past, I don't know, four or five years. And I don't know why it took so long to be able, for me to figure out, like, you got to use real deer horns, but the sound is completely different. Take anything that you buy in the store and then crack a set of real horns together, and I promise you that it's not even going to be close. And I don't know. I've, I've rattled a bunch of deer in. I think you have to be – it's like any kind of calling. You have to be smart about it. You can't overdo it. Um, you have to sort of build up to it. The more realistic you can make it, the better. Uh if you can be in a situation where you're on the ground rattling, that's the ideal situation because you can kick up leaves, you can get yourself near some brush and crack sticks and make it sound like it's a buck fight. Um, if you've ever heard deer lock up in the woods, it is impossible for us to be able to mimic the amount of noise that, that they make. So the more realistic you can make it, the better. Um, but you have to be smart about it. You know, deer, deer that are a long ways away will respond better to rattling than deer that are within 100 yards of you. Um, like, I'm to the point where I carry horns with me any time of year that I hunt. Early season, I will carry horns with me. And if I have not seen a buck um, an hour or 45 minutes before dark, I will get the horns out and I will lightly tickle them together uh, because there's a bunch of deer that are sparring at that point or just not even sparring, but they're just kind of like feeling each other out, trying to figure out the hierarchy of the herd. Um, so rattling is something that I use quite a bit. Uh, but you have to be smart about it, and you cannot overdo it. That's that's good advice there. I, I like both of those things there. Um, I, I think 
you know, cutting off antlers on a really solid buck that you shot is pretty intense. So that's, uh, um, you know, that's a pretty good pal to cut those off and give them to Colby like that. Jake and I usually just like to do a little bit of shed hunting and you can, you can come up with a couple of solid rattling antlers that way too, but teach their own. I, I get it. Um, but you know, it sounds like it's worked for you guys quite a bit to, to go with the real antlers. Um, and, and like you said, to do it in the right situations, uh, with the right strategy, early September is probably not the time to crash them around, so to speak. But like you said, to kind of just tickle them together a little bit. Um, like you said, feeling out the hierarchy of the herd. So understanding when to use it, how to use it and using the right ones. Um, but we did talk a little bit about some of these gimmicks in the market and whatever. So I'm curious what you guys would say are some of the overrated products that are out there um, that, you know, let's say you're walking through the sporting goods store and you see a guy with this product in his hand and you're like, dude, what are you doing with that? That, come on, you're just falling for it. You're giving them your cash. That's totally overrated. What are some of those things in your mind, Eli? Well, there's a lot of them, and I will I will just go out go out and say that I have fallen for marketing tactics, and I love deer hunting so much that I'm willing to do just about anything to kill a big buck. Uh, but there have been a lot of purchases made over the years that were definitely unnecessary and basically flat out stupid. Um, I'll just give you a couple of them that are that are at the, top, at the top of the list, and these are both scent-related items. One of them was made by Code Blue, and it was a little like container that was battery-powered, and apparently, they what they said is if you warm dopus up it's going to attract the bucks better than cold dopey. And I'm to the point where I'm not even going to use dopeis anymore. Uh, but I definitely spent money on whatever the heck that thing was called. And that was a waste. But the ultimate, the, the ultimate waste of money over the years has been a product called Rubline Slime. And this was a product that uh, it was like, if anybody likes the Ninja Turtles, it looked like <laughs> ooze from the Ninja Turtles. And you're supposed to take this stuff and rub it onto either an existing buck rub or you're supposed to take your saw and rub, uh, make a mock buck rub on a tree and then rub this slime over it and it's supposed to attract bucks. Well, let me tell you, I put it out there, the wind blew, it dried out, the entire side of the tree turned white because, I don't know, there must be a lot of salt in it or something, and basically it was like a bunch of ghost rubs throughout the woods, and I never saw a single deer that was in the area go over to one of them and sniff it, so... Um, those would be my top two wastes of money. Um, 
No, 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 no. First of all, Eli, can I just tell you that the the dopey warmer is the most vile thing that I've ever heard someone talk about. I can't believe that that's real because it's <laughs> it's so disgusting in and of itself because you never have a 100% clean deployment of the dopey. Like it's getting on something. It's getting on your fingertip or your glove or your bag. Like it's getting on something and it's probably going to ruin your day, but a warmer Eli, I can't, that's, that is, that's another level, dude. That's horrible. She's hot, hot estrus dough that, you know, it only makes sense, right? No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, I don't like it. <laughs> She's hot. She's I'm just hot. picturing like a wax melt that your wife probably has in your kitchen, but for dopey. <laughs> And what you're picturing is probably about what it was. Oh, good God. 22 bucks down the drain. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even but, know what to I don't say know. If, you're named, if, you're, if you're named Little John, you might like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I can jump on this train. I'll tell you what, anytime I see any poor uh, poor sucker walking down the old aisle in Fleet Farm and he's taking a look at anything that's loaded in that stent aisle and putting a few items in the cart, uh, I just I want to go put my arm around, around, my, around his shoulder and go, buddy, save the old money. Uh, been there, done that, tested away on all of it, literally, pun intended. Um, man... Don't buy any deer scent. I'll tell you what, just marketing in general, Any, if you think there's like magic products out there that are going to, you're going to go out and buy some magic deer hunting product that's going to make you shoot bigger bucks or bucks in general or just deer in general, uh, go, you know, check it at the door, man. That, there just isn't anything out there. Nothing substitutes over uh, some woods, woodsmanship skills, some hard work, uh, and just kind of getting after it. But we certainly spent the gauntlet of money on all the marketing things, probably in our twenties um, over the years. Uh, some of my favorites are my favorite terrible products um, would be the buck bomb, probably $8.99 per crack, the aerosol loaded can that you would go, you know, get to your tree stand nice and quiet then you're going to go walk another you know 30 yards past your tree stand probably cross a couple deer trails set the old aerosol can down on a stump try to light it off and run away real quick so it doesn't spray you um you know like a skunk and then realize you didn't even get 10 steps away and it's already fizzled out and it's gone and it's done um and there went your fucking 10 bucks out the window uh to yet another buck bomb. Uh, that one usually takes the cake. Uh, nothing beats the rub line slime and in, in, in Eli's case there. Boy, we thought we hit the old jackpot with that stuff. We were going to rub on the, those rubs and and that, yeah, nothing but a ghost town of rubs there. That product has been long gone off the shelf. Um, another good one I can think of is this, like, it was this molded bowl of... Uh, you know, acorns and corn and molasses and all this stuff molded together and it had a big old screw on it. And you'd screw the sucker into the tree and then tear the 
you know, the bowl off. So you'd have this essentially good old licking block four feet elevated off the ground that deer can, you know, come up to the old side of the tree and just take a nice nibble off of it. Well, what do you think happened when you went and sat 20 feet up in the air, 20 yards from that, you watched the squirrels pound that thing down to nothing in a matter of no time. And there was not a single deer that walked by and gave it a, gave it a sniff. So yet another 15 or 20 bucks gone to the screw in acorn corn molasses block. But if you warmed turn- it up, if you had warmed that molasses block up, they probably would have hit it. Oh yeah, if you'd had a nice little Mister Heater under there, sending up some uh, warm vibes, she would have been good. She would have been golden. They would have been sniffing it from the top of the bluff and running down so fast you couldn't even couldn't even catch. Boy, I tell you, Colby, after Eli's uh, little dopey warmer answer there, I'm just glad you didn't tell me you invested in like some deer poop mouthwash or something. Cause that, oh my God, I'm I just, I can't get over it. I can't get over it. I mean, I get it, yeah once, but I can't get once over you it. Get a little, once you get a little of that smell on your fingers, uh, she's there for the rest of the day. And that'll be about the last time you want to buy that stuff. But good Lord. Uh, yeah. Try, try eating a nutty bar, throwing some grizz in the mouth after you got that on your fingers. Oh my gosh. Oh God. <laughs> Hey, at least it's warm. But anyways, Colby, uh, we'll start with you on this one. That's all the overrated crap. Um, let's get some positivity going in here to kind of close things out. Um, what's what's an underrated item that you could get at the sporting goods store, or or like even online? Like what's something that actually you could go out and get and like feel good about spending your money on? It's gonna be useful. It's gonna help you out. What what it's one of those pieces for you, Colby? All right, here's here's my most underrated thing that I think people don't spend uh, quality money on when it comes to deer hunting. And I'm by no means an expert. Um, there's people that are way more knowledgeable about this facet of hunting. But I think when it comes to arrows and broadheads, people go way too cheap. You're going to sit there and spend $1,500 on a bow uh, but then you want to order from China some $39.99 12 dozen arrows. Um, that's the thing that's doing the killing. Um, that's your bullet at the end of the, you know, at the end of the string. And you're going to go super cheap on it. Um, same deal. People will order these knockoff broadheads from overseas because they want to save 25 bucks, but they'll go out and spend, you know, two two grand on Sitka or first light gear um, or, you know, thousands of dollars on box stands and blinds and tree stands and stuff. But then when it comes to the actual thing that's going to kill the deer, you're going to go cheap on it. So I think that's where people need to start spending their money is on a good, healthy, perfect arrow setup for your bow and a dang good sharp thing on the end. That's a quality product. Um, that's going to get the job done. And that is not the area you want to skimp or go cheap on. So I think that is super underrated. I agree completely. But there's another one that I know you're passionate about because you've been trying to get Jake and I to invest in some. They're cheap, and they're more for the post-kill. 
You know where I'm getting at here? Oh, yeah, man. One of my favorite products, uh, post kill. It is, they're called buck cuffs. Um, they help you drag a deer out of the woods. They are remarkable. It's this little handle that has literally a, a piece of cable attached to it. That, that cable slides around a deer's antler or a deer's leg. Um, and it cinches up and then you get to hold on to this little handle. You can drag deer out by yourself and have a pair of them and, you know, put your hands behind your back and have hands on both of these handles, which are cinched down to a leg each uh, to pull them out. Or if you got the buddy system, you each hold one. And let me tell you, I'm sure Eli would attest here, it makes dragging out a deer a hundred times better um, than trying to grab onto an antler yourself or a, or a slippery leg and you're constantly, you know, losing grip hand is slipping um these things are amazing they're 20 bucks we're not associated with them whatsoever but you can get a, a pair of them for 20 bucks and if you don't have one you're missing the boat and you, once you get one i or a pair of them i promise you're you're gonna be like oh my god where has this been all my life this is so much easier dragging deer out of the woods so yeah buck cuffs uh i think they're at gamecuffs.com and that's c-u-f-f-s.com gamecuffs.com Again, we're not associated with them at all, but love the product. Um, go get yourself a pair before hunting season. You'll thank me later. Yeah, I know you've been very passionate about those. It sounds like I should try and reach out to them, see if we can get associated somehow, because you, you, really, you really do like them. And, boy, if I ever killed a deer, I think I would really appreciate those as well, too. But that's less of a problem for me on my end, at least at this point um, so far. But... Eli. Man, you put those on, you put those on and you can just go. Sorry, I'm going to just keep ranting on those. You put them on and you can just like, you can sprint out of the woods. You can just haul. Like there's no slowing down because your hand is slipping or you got to rechange your grip or you're tired. Like, yeah, maybe you're tired. Sorry. You're tired. You're just sucking wind. Just you're out of shape. When you're out of shape like us. But uh, you can just flat out go. You can just, I don't know, bushwhack yourself a path and, and go, and you're not stopping for anything because your hand is slipping or, you know, your hand's super tired because you constantly have to grip onto the leg or an antler. Like, you're just, you grab this handle and manhandle it and go. So, I think we need that's to get, it. That's my right. I think we need to get a Buck Fever episode, five, ten minutes, Pat Colby, maybe the help of Eli, just reviewing the crap out of the buck cuff. I want to see this thing in action. We, we need two deer down at the same time, and then, you know, in person, one one guy is dragging it with just the bare hands, and then, you know, the other guy's got the butt cuffs, and, like, just the time difference, well, I two, think, would be. Well, two deer down at once is a lot to ask for. I could give you Jake. You want to drag him around? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it'll go around a leg, an ankle. Uh, we can make it happen. <laughs> yeah, he's probably he's probably light in comparison to the deer that we shoot. That's true. That's true. We can get him a weighted vest or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eli, do you got anything that you'd say is vastly underrated? Something that helps you out quite a bit? Um. Yeah, I would say investing in. I mean, I would agree with Pat, but he's already taken the bow, arrow, and buck cuff. Um, so I would say investing in 
a good pair of like merino wool base layers. Uh, I think a lot of people spend money on their exterior layers, but your base layers are the most important as far as looking moisture away from your skin. And I can tell you, as a guy who will sweat pretty easily, that uh, you know if you can if you can get a good pair of base layers that's gonna keep you dry. Um, like there's been times I've walked out of the woods and felt like I should have a soaking wet base layer and those have been dry. Uh, but my mid layers have been moist because it's actually removed the sweat from my skin. It keeps you warmer, keeps you in the tree longer. Once you start to hit late October, November, December. Um, and I would say that that would be my most underrated product. Don't skimp on the base layer. Yeah, that's that's a good call. I think you got to, I mean, any of that stuff, I guess you could argue, right? Like any of the clothing stuff, typically you're going to get what you pay for. Not always, but some of those things, even like hats, gloves, things that are going to keep you warmer and more comfortable that you'll actually be able to stay out in the woods a little bit longer. I think any of those things you could really make an argument that not necessarily that it's underrated, but like it's worth it. You're not really going to get burned if you spend the money and get something that's going to allow you to stay in the woods a little bit longer. Yep. Uh, back to the overrated ones though. And we can, we can debate this if you want, but uh, I will say expandable broadheads are extremely overrated um they are awesome when you hit the deer where you're supposed to hit the deer because there is usually a huge blood trail uh, and i would even say that there's a benefit when you hit them like in the guts um because you're gonna like there's not a whole lot of resistance to punch through but if you're gonna hit any kind of bone there's no substitute for a good, solid, fixed-blade broadhead, and I have changed my tune completely on that over the last three years. Yeah, I think we almost got to do a separate episode here, and we definitely need Jake to be involved because he's a huge proponent of the Rage Tripans, and honestly, I, I kind of have been too. Um, I'm a little bit more open on it. I, I think you know we could really go some different ways. I know that Colby... Um, is also quite passionate and shares a sentiment that you do, Eli. Um, I know we've we've kind of, as a group, looked into some of the um, the Ed Ashby stuff because he he was a big proponent of the fixed blade and different physics and mechanics that allow for deeper penetration. Um, you know, so there's there's a whole. So, I mean, we could easily do an hour or two on you know kind of debating some of that stuff i, I mean yeah I, I i would generally agree with you. I, I think like you said you put it in the right spot and you don't encounter any problems like anything is pretty much going to work just fine um it's more so planning for how do you how do you hedge your bets a little bit like what's going to give me the best chance at killing that deer if x y and z goes wrong and I think that is really important too, because how often does everything really go 
perfectly 100% according to plan. Um, I think what's tough is you have all the marketing and all the gimmicks and all the money that's involved in it. And then people who do different studies, who try different things, it's like, especially in this world, it's hard to decipher what stuff is just like a group of hillbillies out shooting at a hay bale and calling it a scientific study versus actual real science and physics and figuring it all out. I think that that's can be kind of tough to decipher here. That's something I think we should do this summer though, too. Um, Cause I know Colby's got like the arrow setup that is pretty, pretty good there. I, we have the ballistics gel that we did with some, the, the tripan versus some tooth of the arrow broadheads. Um, but I would love to get some different broadhead tests and comparisons in there with some of that gel um, and just kind of see, like do, do some actual penetration tests. We have access to bones. You know, we, we find Jake found what half a dozen dead deer on his property from over the winter. I mean, we can get scapulas to shoot at too in, in front of the gel, but that's something I definitely think we should explore a little bit more as we get into the summer here. Cause that, that could be a whole, whole big debate there. Yeah. yeah I think we leave that one alone. That could be a, that could be a whole different separate podcast. Um, I'm in agreement, but uh, I think, I think we leave that one where she lays for now. <laughs> All right. So if we want to wrap it up then, I know we, we had another topic on here to talk about some of the overrated impulse purchases that have been made. And maybe we already covered them a little bit with some of the other overrated I purchases, think, but anything, I anything, think we hit those. yeah, anything that's like an impulse buy, if there's anything left, either you guys have anything? I'm sure we both do. <laughs> but nothing, nothing that warrants a extended conversation. <laughs> it's typically been sent um, basically any rattling call that knocks my list off. We going to talk about rut at all? Yeah, we certainly can. And that's another, I mean, the rut in and of itself too can be a whole other, other thing, but we can definitely hit it quick. Yeah, we could do another one. We're pushing an hour and 50 minutes already, so we might want to just find something to close this one down. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else that's overrated, underrated and anything that comes to mind. What, let's just let's finish with this. What's the most uh, overrated thing about hunting in general, deer hunting in general, and then maybe what's like an underrated or, or, or take your, take your pick. An overrated thing about deer hunting in general or an underrated aspect of it? Okay. Um, Swift gets to start. I'll start this one off. This is probably going to be wildly unpopular. I'm going to take an, an overrated aspect. It may just be certain factors that have contributed to some of the experiences we've had. Um, I think sometimes it can be a little bit boring because 
I mean, there's obviously times where there's like nothing more exciting in the whole wide world, but there's also been plenty of sits where like I've been out there for hours on end, nothing's moving, and I'm doing my best to stay off my phone, not you know just doing everything I can, and it can just get to be a little bit boring. That that's what I usually find happens to me e- even on opening day, like. I'm so excited to get out there. Can't wait. And then I get 20 minutes in. I haven't seen anything yet. And it's like, okay, we've, we've got, uh, you know, this doesn't just happen all at once. We've got some serious hours to log here. So I think in general, when it comes to deer hunting, one of the things that can be a little bit overrated about it is there's, there's going to be some boring moments. Yeah. I, I think you'd be, you'd be fooling yourself if you, didn't say that at points in the season or during sits that you're bored. I mean, we're talking hours and hours and sometimes hundreds of hours on sand before you shoot one, or maybe you don't even shoot one that season um, or, you know, a weekend trip where you put in 16 to 20 hours plus on sand or more and don't see many deer at all. Um, there certainly are moments of boredom when it comes to hunting, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing either. Like we're, we're so wired nowadays to not spend any time being bored because we have instant gratification with phones or internet or TV or Netflix or whatever that I think having moments of boredom is okay. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's definitely okay. I think sometimes we just romanticize about, you know, oh, you're out in the woods and it's so peaceful and calming and, you know, there's nothing going on. And I think for sure that stuff can be really great at times. But like you said, when you talk about over the course of a season and potentially hundreds of hours, like there's some moments there where it's you kind of get to be like, all right, man, it's it's a little bit boring right now. Yeah, I always, I always just come back to what else would I be doing right now? What else would I rather be doing right now? And the answer is always, well, nothing. I would rather be deer hunting. So right. I gotta, I gotta disagree a little bit on that one. I yeah, I mean, I can, I, I can see it. it. It's not, you know, it's not like it's, it's the end of the world. It's not a huge thing. Um, but yeah, I, I can see there being, you know. Not everybody's going to agree on that. I can 100% agree on it after shutting 3rd Street down and having a couple mornings with my head between my knees. But <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, in the last decade, in the last decade, well, this is part of growing up, too. In the last decade, I can't, uh, I can't say that I concur. I suppose. Well, what, what's your overall in, in hunting experience, overrated or underrated aspect? Well, we got to save it for another episode. I think the rut as a whole, hunting the rut as a whole is, is, uh, is, is overrated. Wow. But I'm not, I'm not, not going to expand on it. I love, I love hunting the rut, but there are, you talk about your boredom stuff. Um, that is like the king of boredom um, until you get 
it's one of those magical days where you are in the spot where there's a hot doe in the area and the bucks are cruising. But as a general, as a general um, idea, hunting the rut is usually, in my opinion, a little bit overrated. Jeez, we are firing with some hot takes here to wrap this thing up. I said hunting's boring. Eli says the rut sucks. Colby, what <laughs> what have you got for us here? All right. I'm going to go fire another grenade in there. Um, I'm going to say it's overrated on what you shoot, and I'm going to say nobody really gives a shit. Um, these guys that shoot really big deer, awesome. Um, guys that shoot 110 inches, 90 inches, 80 inches, spike bucks, awesome they're out there enjoying the woods hunting i've shot all over the board from small basket rack bucks to 174 inch buck and i don't know that anybody cares my i don't even think my wife cares um she does i she doesn't i know that in fact um there's very few people in this world uh maybe eli that could even eli maybe my brother tom and I guarantee he probably doesn't know because he doesn't hunt uh, a lot with me down in southwest Wisconsin. But, but there's maybe Eli could name the bucks that I've shot in the last 10 years. Otherwise, I guarantee not a single person in this world could name the deer or remember any of the deer I've shot in the last 10 years, maybe one or two of them. But um, So I just don't think people give a shit what you shoot. And we worry way too much about Oh, what's that going to look like on Facebook? What's uh, what's somebody going to say? What are my buddies going to say at the bar? What are my buddies going to say in bowl league or the next whatever if I shoot? Like, nobody cares. Just go up there, have fun. And me and you, I had this pretty in-depth conversation about this a couple years ago, and we kind of flat out came to the point, like, no one cares what you shoot. Like, just if it makes your heart tick. And, like, we try to manage stuff. Um I think it's a little bit of a hypocritical statement because we do pass deer and try to manage uh, and shoot bigger bucks. But in the in the reality, I don't think anybody really cares what you shoot. And if you think people care what you shoot, you're just fooling yourself. Like, I don't care what Mark Drury shoots. He could shoot a 200-incher. He could shoot a 130-incher. It's not going to make me think any different of him. I'm be like, oh, sweet, you shot another one. Awesome. Uh, I'll enjoy watching it. Same thing, hunting public, all those guys. Uh, you know, just enjoy deer hunting. Be out there, enjoy it, have fun. Uh, enjoy the camaraderie you get to spend with family, friends, uh, stuff like that. The fall, being out in the woods. Uh, and don't care what other people think about what you shoot. Well, I hope you keep that same energy when I shoot a 60-pounder on opening day this year. Um, I don't want to hear any crap from you guys. Well, there's a disclaimer there. That doesn't mean you're not going to give anybody shit. It's just <laughs> we don't give a, give a shit what you shoot, but we may give, you know, give you shit. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, but all it. in good fun. All, that's all in good fun. That's not um, tearing anybody down feeling like you're superior to anybody none of that stuff it's all just in good good elbow grease fun <clears throat> i agree and that's a good message too that could even be a whole other episode in and of itself between social media and you know the way things get represented and big deer little deer all that stuff but that's a good message 
we we really came out firing there with with the the last couple topics. Yeah, and then there and then it was a little fire. Oh. Leaving leaving the bits for more later on. I like it. Well, boys, it's uh it's getting a little bit late here. This is a long episode. Holy crap! We we're just we must be really excited to talk deer hunting because we talk forever. But um yeah, I think. I think we've got some good topics for the future and I'm feeling good about this one here. So I think we should wrap it up and you guys keep resting up. I'm sure you're not fully, uh, fully rested up from your Canada trip yet. Oh man, we're, we're back. We're ready to go. Uh, Hey, I turned 38 this weekend. So, uh, you know, uh, I got a few more days of feeling a little bit young before I, turn the calendar to yet another year so um just enjoying it enjoying summer enjoying time with the family uh yeah and looking forward to september about 15th man absolutely you know the final the final overrated uh overrated thing that i'm going to talk about to close close out my part is brownie points with the wife um i don't think there is such thing and those are extremely overrated so just sit there and dream about deer hunting and you know bank as many imaginary brownie points up as you can and it's probably not going to matter that might be true but i'm pretty sure the first episode that you were featured on the podcast eli i'm pretty sure i titled it brownie points actually that's true you did you did (laughs) Yeah, we might have to go back and change it now. No, we don't have to change it. I think I said the exact same thing. I said I think I'm trying to build up brownie points for when the rut hits. But right, but it probably I'm probably ain't worth it. failing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, that's 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 a good one. That's a good one. Although there's, I mean, you know, Colby maybe disagrees. He he likes the hay rides and the pumpkins yeah all that good stuff uh, but. no you know now that he's got the wheels turning here i know we're trying to close this down but i almost got to agree here a guy goes through a lot to try to build up some brownie points and it seems like they can get flushed down the toilet real quick you think you got a you think you got a good base built up with even extra brownie points you know and, and a surplus per se and nope those goddamn things are flushed right down the toilet on about the first weekend that you go hunting. And all of a sudden they're gone, and you're all, all of a sudden your bank account looks negative in the brownie points category. And you're like, what the hell? I spent the whole last six months trying to build these things up, and now I'm in the negative balance already? How did that happen? So, yeah, I guess probably overrated, like he says. Just go hunting. You yeah, know what? it's all based on the moon phase. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty sure we lost all of our listeners there with uh, the hot takes there wrapping it up at the end, but I think we brought them all back. I think we got everybody back on our side there. Go hunting. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. Go hunting. Shoot go what hunt. you want. Follow the rules. Shoot what you though. want. No one cares. Go hunting. Yep. <laughs> yep. They'll get over it. Absolutely. Go hunting and keep listening to the podcast keep watching our videos because we really appreciate it and it really helps us out and it fuels us to want to keep hunting and keep filming all this stuff even more so thank you guys for supporting us we really do appreciate it and we got a lot of topics to to keep covering here as as you heard and um, a lot of videos to be coming out and deer season's gonna be here before you know it so 
Uh, lots of stuff coming up. Stay tuned, and we'll see you guys next time.